Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideNDSports.com on the Rivals Network. Notre Dame's 2025 class continued to grow on Monday with a commitment from three-star linebacker Ko'o Kia, the younger brother of sophomore defensive end Kahanu Kia. Both are products of Punahou School in Honolulu, so we reached out to someone who knows plenty about that football program, and that's former Notre Dame wide receiver Robbie Toma. Robbie himself played at Punahou before his Notre Dame career and has spent some time coaching in Hawaii since his playing days. Robbie, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. I'm, I'm glad to be here. I appreciate you guys. Uh, let's start with Ko'o. What what kind of player is Notre Dame getting in him? I mean, he, he reminds me a lot of, of his brother, but, you know, just your, your kind of – I hate saying standard because it sounds basic, but your standard Hawaii linebacker where, you know, you got a lot of energy, a lot of, um, you know, just, just, I guess, smarts to, to find and make a knack for, for, you know, getting the football. And, you know, he had a lot of timely turnover or created a lot of timely turnovers for our, for our team this past season. And um, yeah, I'm just excited to see the two brothers get after it. Okay, so when you say typical linebacker, we have Manti Teo, we have Leo <laughs> Powell. Yeah. Harris might have played safety when he was in high school a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah. But but uh, it does seem like the Hawaii prospects, at least the ones that come to Notre Dame, always are kind of under-promise and way over-deliver. So are, are you expecting Ko to be a guy that, could eventually be a starter and and eventually be a significant contributor. Oh yeah, I mean, shoot, you, I mean, you look at a guy like Maris. Um, you know, Maris didn't. You know, he put on the right right amount of weight in order to be effective, right? But you know, Cole's frame is. Um, you know, I think I feel like a little bit bigger than Maris, but um, a lot of the same attributes and um, Kahano. You know, obviously Kahano. Uh, was unbelievable, and, and he went on his mission. So, I, I mean, I'm excited to see the two brothers develop as football players and, and as men. I know that Kahanu did, like, the last four or five months of mm-hmm. his mission in Oahu. So have you seen mm-hmm. him? And if so, how? what size of a person is he now? <laughs> yeah, I've seen him. I mean, I, I tell you what, I don't miss blocking linebackers that size. Um, <laughs> so... You know, I I think I think Notre Dame football is in a really good place. Um, you know, especially with with the talent coming in and Cole, and you know, hopefully we can keep that Hawaii pipeline going. But like you mentioned earlier, you know, not just linebackers, but you know, Kona, uh, Myron, you know, Alohi. I, I would I would put myself in that category. But you know, the Hawaii players, we've all kind of had kind of low expectations, except Manti, of course. But even Manti exceeded his expectations, so. Um, I think I think Hawaii is a, is a special place to recruit and um, kind of a hot spot for Notre Dame of, of you know within the last like ten or fifteen years. Robbie, not just the Hawaii pipeline, but Punahou specifically has been a pipeline mm-hmm. for Notre Dame. How much how much pride do you have in that, and why do you think that program is able to continue to to produce those kinds of players? I you know I was I spoke with somebody yesterday, and and um, I even talked to. Coach Nate, who's uh, Cohen Kahanu's father, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know I have a, a great relationship with him, and, I, and I'm lucky enough to be able to to be on his staff at Pono. But Pono is very similar to Notre Dame in that you either love it or you hate it. So mm-hmm. um, you know there's no there's no in between, and um, you know I just think just from like 
you know, having been an alumni from both, um, I'm excited for, for that pipeline to continue and, and more specifically the Puno to Notre Dame pipeline. So Robbie, when the Kias got off the plane, it's negative degrees here. So we're talking, <laughs> you know, an 80, 90 degree temperature difference. And I realize that some Hawaii players have been to the mainland before in crummy weather. Some haven't. I think your mom's from Dayton, isn't she, Ohio? Yep, yep, that's correct. Okay, so you had been... Yeah, you got a good memory. So you, thanks, <laughs> Tammy, right? Yeah, that's my so mom. So you had been to the... Had you been to the mainland when it was crappy weather before you took your visit to Notre Dame? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I studied family in Dayton. Um, it, was, it was kind of funny, Manta and I, a while back, we we're, were chatting about his visit. He came uh, to that Syracuse game when it was, you know, when it was snowing and it was pretty cold. So, um, you know, just kind of thinking about it, I think Notre Dame should only have Hawaii kids uh, come when it snows because yeah. it seems it seems to have they seem to have a good batting batting average when it comes to <laughs> uh, cold weather and, and getting Hawaii recruits. But seriously, what's their reactions like? What was Manti's reaction? Were you on that visit with him, or did you talk? I, I, I was not on that visit. I I, I came a little bit later um, in the springtime, but. Um, I remember him coming back saying it, saying it was really cold, but I mean, I, I don't, I don't think Hawaii kids fear a, a ton of, um, I guess cold weather. Um, not that, not that we've ever, been, I, I just don't think that we've ever really lived through it. So then when we finally get there, we're just like, you know, kind of a, oh crap moment, <laughs> but no, it, it really, honestly, the, the weather was nothing when, when we were there. Um, it, it was more fun than anything. Yeah, the other thing about it is too, Robbie, you guys don't always get to go home when other people mm-hmm. do because of it's a quick turnaround, like a long weekend. You'd be traveling a whole day for two out of the three yeah. days. What what's that like when you have to stay back and everybody else is going home to see family? Yeah, you know, I think I think Shaq Evans, um, Manta, and myself on uh we had like a, a holiday meal and everybody else went home and i think we had golden dragon for for like our thanksgiving mm. lunch or wh- whatever it was but you know you you create your own um family that you know that isn't blood out 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 there in south bend and you're always taken care of and you know we just started getting the face chat and, and all that you know all that kind of stuff to be able to talk to our parents at that time so uh, you know, it wasn't too gif- difficult. We understood the mission um, um, and, and what we wanted to do as a team, but also individually. And anyway, I don't think, it, you know, it wasn't too hard. Yeah. And I, it's, when it comes to the snow, I, I don't think that any of the Hawaiian guys that I've interacted with that have come to Notre Dame would not be described as tough. So I think the snow <laughs> is probably the, the least of their concerns. Yeah. Um, Marty Biaggi, Notre Dame special teams coordinator, has sort of taken over the role of being the coach mm-hmm. to continue the relationships in Hawaii. What kind of job do you feel like he's done, and how important is that that Notre Dame continues to have someone sort of dedicated to making sure that those connections? No, I, I, I think I think Coach Marty's doing a great job. The last couple of times he's come out here, um, him and I have been able to spend some time, grab some dinner. Carlo Calabres lives out here as well, so um, you know we're, we've been able to catch up with with Coach Marty uh, Biaggi and. You know, I just, I think, I think having a Notre Dame presence at, because, you know, he's gone to a bunch of other different schools uh, around the island and, you know, just to, to, to show that Notre Dame's here, um, it, it's important to, 
to Hawaii because we're we're such a small, you know, island, but you know, we want to make sure that these people are here to stay and it's not just kind of a, a one-time thing, which which Notre Dame's proven, you know, they they I think there's been a a Hawaii kid on the team since Manta and I um, you know, which is what is that 2000 2009. Yeah. So, you know, you look you look about 14 15 years later and and there's still Hawaii kids there um it's definitely good for the program and for recruiting out here i don't know how well you know jordan Botello because he wasn't a punahou kid do you know oh, he was he was a nightmare when i was uh okay. when i was trying to i was the offensive coordinator at puno and it was him you know that uh herbig who plays for right. the wisconsin it was one of the it was one of the one of the greatest um high school teams i've ever seen um and jordan jordan was uh definitely a problem for us, but I'm very proud of that kid. I mean, um, you know, he, he came from St. Louis and, you know, he's just, he's doing a fantastic job. What do you think is still out there for him? I mean, he moved back and forth between linebacker and defensive end a lot. He's found a home at end. Yeah. What's still out there for him? What, how can he be better this fifth year at Notre Dame? You know, I, I think, I think it's something to be said about his character where, he's been moved around a lot and, and, you know, I'm not in the Goog, I'm not in the building, so I don't understand the the scheme and, and what they're doing with him. But as far as I've heard from the staff and, um, you know, I've, I've spoken to Jordan a few times. He's, he's never once complained. He's never, you know, he doesn't seem like he's a, a me kid or, or anything like that. He, he's definitely a team guy. And, um, you know, just, I hope that they're able to, to get him kind of a set spot, let him play comfortably and, um, you, you guys will be able to experience the Jordan Batello that I that I saw trying to coach against him, and uh, I'm very I'm very confident that Jordan will will perform. Yeah, and he played pretty well in the Sun Bowl as well, so hopefully that's a good spring. Yeah, he, he played really <laughs> well, didn't he? Um, Mike Denbrock is back on Notre Dame's coaching staff, and My you have guy. some experience uh, being coached by him. What was it like having Mike Denbrock as your wide receivers coach? Oh man, he, he, you know, I was kind of a hybrid where I had to be in the running back room plus the, plus the uh, receiver room, you know, with Tony Alford and, and Den Brock. Those are two of my, some of my favorite guys um, or, or coaches that I've ever played for. And I'm, I'm so happy to have coach Den Brock back because, you know, they, you want kids to experience what, what you did. And, and my, my experience at Notre Dame was definitely enhanced because of coach Den Brock and, um, you know, you're going to get a consistent guy that, you know, you get, you get to have some fun, but you know, he, he, you know, the standard when, when he's in the room and um, he's very consistent in how he critiques and, and how he coaches. And um, I'm just excited to see him have the offense rolling. Robbie, what's your impressions of Marcus through his first two full seasons? Marcus Freeman. I mean, the only way, the only way I can describe him is relentless from just from what I've seen, you know, like, um, the way that the way the team plays, the way he recruits, um, you know, I've had a chance to talk to some, some guys that kind of overlap staffs with him. And, um, it's just, it's nice to see the program. Um, what I would say, you know, I, I you know, I, I am biased cause I, I did get to play for Brian Kelly as well. And, and even Charlie Weiss, but you know, all those guys were, had the program going in an upwards, um, kind of trajectory and in, in my opinion. And, um, to see, to see, you know, Freeman win ten games in a row, uh, two years in a row. That that is not easy to do, especially as a new new head coach. So I just hope that he can continue to keep the the ball rolling in a recruiting, um, and the way he's been recruiting. But 
this NIL deal, uh, that could be a whole nother segment for us. But, um, you know, I just, I think, I think you, when you recruit the right kind of guys and, and you're able to compensate them, not, not the school itself, but, um, you guys, you guys get what I'm saying. Um, you know, I, I think that if, if he's able to continue to recruit the right guys, the NIL shouldn't be, a, shouldn't be a huge deal. And again, I, I'm very impressed with coach Marcus and, um, you know, hopefully he can come make the, make the trip out here. I told Marist he needed to get a NIL deal with Hawaii Airlines. <laughs> I know. Yeah, but they don't fly to Chicago, so. <laughs> uh, okay. What uh, What are your expectations for what the offense will look like with Coach Coach Denbrock back on staff and as the offense coordinator? You know, I mean, it's going to be very interesting because I, I tried to look up some of these new new receivers that are coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, selfishly, I I like to see a lot of points on the board. Um, but uh, you know, I, I, as, I think as long as we can establish a run game, um, cause we got a stable of backs, don't we? Yeah. Um, you know, if we can, if we can establish a, uh, a, a solid run game to lean on, but let some of these athletes go, um, you know, I hate to, I hate to bring it up, but it'd be nice to see something like Cincinnati had before Kelly, Kelly came over, you know, just kind of high flying. And then, you know, uh, our defense, you know, it seems like golden's got them all in the right direction. So. It would be nice to crush some teams and stop sweating some games out. <laughs> uh, Robbie, I want to ask you about the Mormon missions. I don't know if you are LDS, but I know a lot of, of the high school players that come to Notre Dame from Hawaii are. How how difficult – did you have to face that decision or no? No, so I, I'm not LDS, but, you know, I grew up in the Mormon community. Okay. Um, I mean, I would say Notre Dame does a very, very good job of not – because I, I grew up christian um but notre dame does a very good job of not kind of force feeding people um you know what beliefs or or whatnot so it wasn't very difficult and then there is there was a nice um you know there was a nice mormon community around south bend that that always took you know manti to church and kona and and justin utupo as well so um i believe alohi alohi did the same there was a couple families out there that that really looked out for him and is there, I mean, it seems like there's pressure to do it. And then there's also an individual. It looked like Manti was going to, and then changed his mind. Kahanu did. I don't know if mm-hmm. Poe is going to do it. Yeah. I mean, I, that's the, the beauty too about Mormons is, is that they, they kind of allow their, you know, obviously there is pressure from the family to, to live out the mission, but at the end of the day, it's up to, it's up to that young man or, or young woman. So, um, the one thing I did tell Manta was, uh, which I have told some, some, you know, kids that I've coached in the past, like, you know, your, your mission can be at your school. You don't have to, you know, and again, I'm not Mormon, but that's just kind of, that was, that was kind of my beliefs and whether, whether Manta or, or Kona or any of them, you know, took that into consideration. But, you know, I just, I think that because Notre Dame has such a, a strong, um, faith in, in, um, and, and Christ, like, you know, it's not hard for, for Mormons to, to come in and, um, you know, thrive and, 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 uh, they don't really have to go on their mission in my opinion, but I'm not Mormon. So I don't want to, I don't want to offend anybody, but right. uh, that's just kind of my two cents. Robbie Manti has seemingly been embraced more by the program the last couple of seasons. I'm curious what, what you, your perspective of that has been, what's it been like to see Manti around the program and, and the program talking about Manti a little bit more than maybe it had in years past. 
No, it's 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 awesome. I mean, the guy the guy gave his his heart and soul. Um, sorry, somebody's calling me. I'm trying to um, get rid of that. Yeah, no, I mean, the guy gave his heart and soul for you know four years, and um, you know there was obviously we've all seen the Netflix documentary, and mm-hmm. um, you know I think I think it's it, it's awesome to see him in, in the spotlight again, and I always kind of replay in my mind the first tackle he had against um nevada where everybody kind of got to see you know manti he got that warm welcome and uh to see him you know, everything kind of go full circle and he him get that love again it, as as his best friend I, I couldn't be more happy for him well i have to echo it because he was always one of my favorite players and then it was kind of a punchline for so long and then when he came back to Notre Dame and we had a little press conference and he was on the field and the crowd the roar of the crowd mm-hmm. and then he started bawling and then it yeah. just louder and I was yeah. like okay don't cry don't you know <laughs> yeah it, it is amazing and and he deserves that legacy because he changed Notre Dame football, and it is yeah, is really nice. I realize that's not a question; it's a statement. No, no, I, no, it is, it is, and, and you know that's that's something that you know. I, again, I I would not have been there without him, and and you know the attention that he got from all these different college coaches. So, um, and now I, I'll put myself in, in in with the you know the pipe the Puno pipeline because. Um, you know, like you mentioned earlier, every kid has has excelled or exceeded their um, their expectations, and it, it you know obviously Manti plays a huge role in that. And um, you know that these linebackers that are coming from Punahou to to Notre Dame, they they do have they have big shoes to fill. I mean, and 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 that legacy that he's left is something that I'm not saying that. Cole or Kahanu or Maris, they're chasing it, but it, it's it's something to to be proud of and and to try to go ahead and 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 exceed that. Um, last couple for me. One is: Is there anybody on the Punahou roster that you say Notre Dame and you guys need to be looking out for this guy? That's that's in one of the younger classes. Any? any I mean, need? we we have we have a lot we have a lot of young talent. I, before I go ahead and 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 beef some of these kids up i want i want them to earn it um <laughs> you know i got i got i got we got a couple young young i call them young boys that uh that can play some ball but um i don't i don't want them to think that that uh they're there yet no so crowns I'll yet keep, no crowns <laughs> <laughs> no crowns yet no no crowns yet for for the youngins but um we we definitely have some talent i mean i i'll give you know one kid Zion, he's he's a freshman receiver. I mean, the kid was maybe 14 years old, and he was making a ton of plays for us on varsity. So, um, that Zion White will be a, will be a name for for people to look out for. Did Manti's little brother ever end up playing football? So Manasseh Manasseh was playing yeah. in Utah. I think he had some. I think he had some smaller offers. Okay. Um, uh, I got. I, I don't know if he committed or signed, but um, Manasseh might be one that might be going on his mission. Okay. And then just tell our listeners what you're up to. I know you've got a couple kids now, right? Yeah. So through, um, through, you know, my Notre Dame network, I started an insurance right after I got cut from the Arizona Cardinals. 
Um, I worked in Florida for about five or six years, and then I moved home, and now I'm a commercial line uh, insurance broker at uh, Monarch Insurance. Okay. And I got two two kids. They're one daughter, one son. My son's name is Jet. So hopefully, hopefully we can get Jet Toma um, <laughs> cheers at at Notre Dame. That'd be that'd be awesome. That'd be a dream come true. He's got you the see, name. You didn't hype him up yet. You didn't hype him up. Yet. <laughs> yes, well, again, well, he's a, he's a, he's only two, so he the kid the kid needs to to earn his way. <laughs> well, all right, Robbie, we really appreciate you taking time to talk to us, and best of luck with everything moving forward, and keep uh, coaching up those kids. Awesome, I appreciate you guys. Before we get to our question segment, I wanted to remind our listeners of our subscription promo for InsideNDSports.com. We're offering a 30-day free trial to our podcast listeners who want to try out the site. That will get you access to all of our premium content, the Insider Lounge message board. And you don't have to wait for the next podcast to ask us a question. You can take advantage of this offer by using promo code NDPOD. That's N-D-P-O-D. When you sign up for subscription on InsideNDSports.com, you can also find a link to the deal in the podcast description or show notes. All right, now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at EHansonND. First one I have for us, Eric, is from Michael Kelly at NDLawyer1990. ND has a lengthy record of developing great offensive linemen and a recent record of producing great safeties. Why does it appear that ND has no shot at Caden Proctor or Caleb Downs from Alabama? Both would likely start immediately alongside other talented players at ND. Well, certainly Caleb Downs would. Um, he's he's really good, um, and and you could still find a role for Rod Hurd too if if Caleb Downs came. Um, Proctor started thirteen games for Alabama. He didn't have a super good um, year for them. I think slimmed down a little bit. He would be pretty good. His PFF grade was about comparable to Pat. Coogan's, which is lower than several of the other Notre Dame linemen this year. I, I, I mean, they have in mind, I think, where they want to be. I think, uh, you know, Caleb wants to be in the South and uh, Proctor wants to be closer to home. He wants to go to Iowa, it looks like. So, um, you know, Notre Dame, you know, there's a reason they didn't pick Notre Dame the first time around. I think the other thing that complicates it with the Alabama, Washington, and Arizona kids is if they want to get somewhere for uh, spring semester, Notre Dame started classes on Tuesday, and not that they couldn't still get in this week, but you're really microwaving the process and really trying to get it turned around through admissions and also their potential visit and their decision-making process doesn't make it easier, but you know, that's kind of my take on it. Yeah, I, I think from my perspective, it seems like both of those guys under the transfer portal knowing where they were going. Um so I, I it's not it's not a matter of like Notre Dame could have done X, Y, or Z to make it that change. I don't know that, that was gonna make a difference. Um Proctor was never really considered a Notre Dame student athlete as a recruit. Uh, Notre Dame did not pursue him very heavily. Downs was. Um but he also has a really close connection to Georgia's co-defensive coordinator and safety coach, Traveris Roberts Robinson. Um, so, I mean, I think that's why he's going to end up there. I think a lot of, 
a lot of transfers, especially for the big time guys, like come down to like connections, um, especially the freshmen, because those connections can still exist and be relatively new right, or relatively recent, right? Like Riley Leonard, like his recruiting process probably didn't impact what he ended up doing as a transfer because he's gone through college for four years and he, he knows what he wants to do. Um, whereas uh, these guys who are freshmen, they're going to still maybe feel like maybe they made the wrong decision and like something about something that happened to them during their recruiting process um, may pull them to a different school. So like um, Proctor was committed to Iowa for a while. Um, and like I mentioned, Downs is the connection to a coach on, on Georgia's staff um, who was on Alabama staff as well. So um, I think those, I mean, if we're just talking about those two specifically, that's, that's what I would point to. All right. Next question is from Rick Dyerolf at Irish three, five, seven, any chance we land Caleb down to the portal? He was seriously considering Notre Dame in his recruitment. Any reason to hope he comes where he should have from the beginning? Um, everything that we've been hearing and reading have pointed him toward Georgia. So I would really think that the chances of that changing course at this point, I think what would be really interesting to me is if Keon Keeley eventually gets into the portal, uh, the defensive end that was committed to Notre Dame for a while and then ended up going to Alabama. He didn't end up playing this year. Right. Now, he would have to be, um, I, again, the timing of this would make it difficult for him to get to Notre Dame in the spring, but I would think there would be interest on Notre Dame's part if he did end up going in. Yeah, and like I don't, especially when you're talking about these freshmen, is, is it that important that they're here for the spring? Like, cause it's not like this is their one and only chance to make an impact this coming season, right? Obviously you want their experience to be as good as possible and then be able to play as a lot this coming season would be, would help that. But Keon Keeley's career has a long way to go still. So if you missed one more semester of him, I don't know that, that would hurt you, hurt you. Um, but like, I'm curious, like we know that Notre Dame or we believe Notre Dame can make freshman transfers work. Um, and that's one of the easier ones for Notre Dame to do, especially with guys that they're familiar with from recruiting. Um, but we haven't really seen them have the big recruiting wins in that. Like so last year it was what Anthony Lucas and uh, CJ Williams were guys that they looked at, um, but didn't end up coming to Notre Dame. We could, I mean, you could, I wouldn't point to Proctor because that, I don't think like that was never ha happening in any stretch. Um, but Caleb Downs was a serious Notre Dame recruit at one point. Um, but I don't know that Notre Dame was never ever really in this running for the transfers. Like we just talked for his transfer, like we just talked about. So uh, the Keon Keeley one would be interesting if that did happen. Um, and I do think there would be interest there on Notre Dame's end. Um, but I don't know if there's something that, Makes that a little bit harder for guys, to, especially like if you're talking about guys that want to go home. Obviously, there's gonna be there's gonna be a very small candidate of players that want to go home, uh, to play at Notre Dame after a freshman season. There's not a lot of get that that the the list of players that Notre Dame is near uh, isn't as long for some of those other places that some of these guys come from. He does have a couple friendships on the Notre Dame team. Trey Reader, um, yeah, and, and he being Keon, not Caleb Down. Just I know we were talking a yeah, lot about yeah, Keon. Yeah, yeah, 
Gianna for a kid. Reader, and then the younger reader is going to be a freshman on freshman catcher on the baseball team this year. Yeah, I think it's Trey and Troy, if I'm correct, but I, I may be wrong. I think you're right. Uh, next question is from LDL Go Irish on the Inside Lounge. It appears this go around that transfers of underclassmen has been easier. Is that just athletes, or can all undergraduate students transfer easier? Well, I think there's been a small shift in that direction, and I think it's significant. But I don't think it would apply to typical students, nor do a lot of the rules that govern admissions for football players and other athletes necessarily fall in line with what a normal mm -hmm. student. I think the bar is much higher for normal students, but they still want to let in only players that can compete in the classroom at Notre Dame. So I, I don't know that for sure, but I wouldn't assume that they've made this a universal policy. Yeah, I would, I would, uh, I would agree. I imagine it's specific to athletes and I, I don't know, like the shift, I don't know is, is, is like seismic. I think it's felt in different ways for the football program because it's felt like such an obstacle um but i think it is I, there are still hurdles that need to be cleared um and i mean we're, we're talking about bo collins as someone who we thought might be an undergraduate transfer but it turns out he's actually just going to be a graduate transfer he's going to take classes to graduate from clemson one more year so i mean to me that signals that it was difficult to make it work out where he could continue to get stay on track to get a degree after one more semester at notre dame um, which I don't think is very surprising, but I, I, that's that's what he wants to do. And so um, there's gonna there has to be creative solutions to making those kinds of things work. We'll have we'll have a little bit more insight perhaps next week when we talk to Riley Leonard and drill down on his situation again. Duke credits may have transferred more easily than Clemson credits. Yeah, and I mean, it's not. It doesn't have to be just the school either. It could be the very specific classes he took, right? Like maybe Riley Leonard's class that he chose, like more aligned with classes that are similar to Notre Dame than the classes that Bo Collins chose. I don't know. That's complete speculation, but I think that's how every case is sort of treated on an individual basis. The easiest A I got at um, Ohio State was Aviation One Eleven. I wonder if that would have transferred to Notre Dame. <laughs> Um, I'm guessing not. Uh, next question is from Nathan Reynolds at Enforcers2117. Now knowing Saban retired, do you think Marcus Freeman would have offered Tommy Reese the offensive coordinator job, or do you think Freeman would have still went after Mike Denbrock first and Reese would have been a backup option? Do you think Reese will now end up at LSU? Um, I think Mike Denbrock um, stated, or I mean, I think, Marcus Freeman down at the Sun Bowl stated that Mike Denbrock was his number one choice. And I knew that before he publicly said that. Um, however, I think if Tommy Reese had been in the pool, that Mike Denbrock still would have been the number one choice. I think that would have been who mm -hmm. he pursued. And when you say, well, would he have been a backup option? I mean, we know, I mean, from our reporting, we believe Kirby Moore would have been the top backup option there. I, I doubt that that calculus changed if Reese was in the pool, but it, it could have. But, I mean, here, you know, coaching searches are different. Sometimes people cast a wide net like Lauren Landau. That was a wide net for that. 
for offensive coordinator, Marcus said, boy, this is really who I want to have. And his first phone call is to that person, Denbrock. And on a Monday night, Denbrock said, I'm willing to listen. And by Thursday, Denbrock knew he was coming. And by Friday, Brian Kelly knew he was coming. So you don't make a list of then retroactively of who your second, third, and fourth choice and 27th would have been. Whereas when you're doing a wider net, you, you probably do make those kinds of lists. Who's our top priority or who are who's in our top tier of candidates and that kind of thing. So I'm not sure where Tommy Reese would have fit in, but I, I don't know that that was ever crossed Marcus's mind. And certainly once Denbrock said, I'm willing to listen, then it kind of ends the conversation there. Um, yeah. Do I think he'll end up at LSU? I think he'd like to end up in the NFL. Yeah, I I don't know what will happen there with Reese if he goes to LSU or ends up in the NFL. I think that this would make sense in terms of trying to make that leap. I don't know that it makes the most sense in terms of, like, Alabama's offense showed improvement, but it wasn't necessarily um, a high-flying offense that that people are lining up to learn more about what they were doing, at, at least from my perspective. Um, so maybe, maybe Reese going to LSU is his backup option. Um I, I just don't think that Freeman would have pursued Tommy Reese again unless like he he ran out of options, right? I, I just it didn't make it doesn't make sense to me that he would have gone back to Tommy Reese um after Tommy Reese left. That that's my personal opinion. And um I don't I don't think that Marcus Freeman would have been that moved by the a possibility of bringing Tommy Reese back that he would have prioritized him. And and, and Mike Denbrock got a four year contract. You know, Tommy Reese, if he came back to Notre Dame, he would it would be a placeholder for him for what he wants to do later. Right. Uh next question is from at Steve Goforth Five. Do you think the new TV deal with NBC has allowed Notre Dame to pay more for coaches? I feel the TV deal helped us pay for Denbrock and help retain Golden. Medi- to me, media right deals are extremely important. That's why we no longer have a Pac-12, and that's why Florida State is going to court to get out of the ACC. And so, yes, it allows ND to be competitive where it needs to be competitive, like coaching salaries. But there's also a philosophical victory, too, in going after Denbrock and paying him top dollar, and that's are you willing to make that kind of commitment? Are you willing to make that kind of investment? So just because you have the media rights money doesn't mean you're willing to spend it. But Notre Dame is kind of doing both. So, yes, I would say both things contribute to um, being able to be competitive with coaching salaries. Yeah, it's one of the ways Notre Dame makes money. So it certainly doesn't hurt the the possibility of having the money to, to pull from. But, yeah, I think it also requires the decision makers to be willing to push the envelope and making sure that these guys are getting paid at the level that the market is demanding for them. Next question is from at Dan Quinlan excited to have CJ Carr as a member of the Irish. But when Tyler Buckner first arrived on campus, we considered him the same can't miss superstar. What did we not realize when evaluating Buckner? How is CJ Carr different? Thanks. I'm not sure. Let's start with Tyler Buckner. I'm not sure he was ever considered can't miss considering his injury history and missing his senior season because of COVID. But he was highly thought of and his potential was tantalizing. 
And, and there are all kinds of anecdotes when you talk to the people around Tyler Buckner and, and we've talked to I'm either for stories or on podcasts, we've talked to some of those people that pointed toward a better likelihood of Buckner succeeding than not. And then maybe if he didn't get injured in game two of um, his first season as a starter, maybe we would have started to see him turn into that player. CJ Carr certainly has more of a track record of success. Um, He's got more starts uh, and more playing time. And just being able to have been healthy, you can see the progression with him more. I don't think he's necessarily a can't miss guy either. Um, But I think he is a guy that I would be very excited to have on my roster and think he has a very good chance of being successful at Notre Dame. Yeah. Just some, some numbers to back up to what you said about Buckner and Carr in terms of their ratings or projections. Uh, Rivals ranked Tyler Buckner as the number 112 overall prospect in the class. He was the sixth uh, quarterback. Um, CJ Carr's 50th overall. Um, there's just they're not they're not quite they're not quite in the same realm. Like CJ Carr was knocking on the door, being a five star for much of his senior year, um, and not just by rivals. Like you could say, well, well, other people like other people other sites have their their evaluations too, but. CJ Carr is thought to be by most a top 50 player where, where Tyler Buckner is borderline top 100, depending on who you ask. Um, I think ESPN was the highest on Tyler Buckner coming out of high school. Um, maybe that was the one that had him inside the top 50 where most, most of the uh, ranking s- systems have CJ Carr inside the top 50. Um, but like, I don't know. I, to me, quarterbacks are a crapshoot. Like I feel like, Will CJ Carr be great? Uh, I, who knows? I think he's been consistently great throughout high school with a lot of pressure on him. I think that there's a lot of signs to indicate that he can be, but I don't. There's a lot of people that get paid a lot more money that can't figure this out. <laughs> like this is this is what their job is to do, and they can't figure it out. Um, so I I don't know that um, you can say with certainty that CJ Carr is or isn't going to pan out because I've I've. I've been doing this long enough and long enough is only a decade, but there are guys that you think are going to be great at quarterback that don't end up being great. There's guys that you think are so, so that end up exceeding that. I I don't know. I don't know what the magic formula is. I think if you're looking back on Tyler Buckner's career, like Eric mentioned, the the injury concerns, he, and the concern, he he didn't have a senior season because of COVID. So he he sort of lacked sustained success in high school. And I'd like to, I think, when you're sort of evaluating quarterbacks to have that sustained success is probably better to project from than sort of like one awesome season, um, which Tyler Buckner had, and that's not his fault, but that, uh, that maybe can make you feel more comfortable with that. He, he had some strange throwing motion adjustments, but the thing that I never understood about that is like, if this was something new or something that wasn't working for him, like what couldn't he have just changed back to what was working for him beforehand? So I, I don't know that I totally bought that as like the reason why he didn't pan out. Um, it just didn't, it hasn't worked for Tyler Buckner and maybe who knows, maybe he, he turns to the Notre Dame lacrosse team and transfers out and plays football somewhere else. And he finally realizes his potential as a football player down the line. I, I, there's still time for that to happen as well. Yeah. And, and there are guys that 
that's happened for. I, I think there are two things that happened to Tyler Buckner. Two decisions, one that wasn't of his doing, one that was, that could have changed the trajectory a little bit. One was, I thought, his decision to transfer to Helix High School in La Mesa was super smart on his part to get a higher level of competition. But California's decision to bump their uh, high school season to spring really hurt him. He didn't get to see how he um, and get those reps against um, the better competition. He His numbers were cartoonish mm-hmm. at, at uh, the Bishop School in San Diego, but he was playing against the smallest class in California, and he was just such a superior athlete. The thing where I think it was in his control, I think he would have been better off staying at Notre Dame in 2023, learning behind Sam Hartman, and I think some of the growth we saw in Steve Angeli would have happened for Tyler Buckner, and he would have at least had a leg up on being the 2024 quarterback. I'm not sure that Notre Dame would have gone to the portal unless they just didn't see the progress and Buckner, that may have changed things. It may not have. Yeah, and I, I, I was never a huge fan of his decision to enroll early and skip his senior year. I, COVID was so weird, and there was so little guarantees that I don't blame him for that. But I just think the he would have had so much more opportunity to play, even though it was high school level, get that experience and play in games, um, where obviously he's getting to know Notre Dame system more and stuff. But like, did he need to be here? for the spring semester to be the running quarterback option for Notre Dame in the fall. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that helped him do that, but was, and did that play any significant role in his development as a quarterback? I would almost say it probably lessened. Like if you're going out there with the idea that you're probably not throwing, how much is that really helping you? Now maybe just getting your feet wet and getting some comfortability out there helps, but I think it's the same thing. as like, why isn't Steve Angeli getting enough opportunity to throw the ball late in games? Like, if Tyler Buckner's only coming out there to run a read option, um, is he getting that same sort of experience as the, as a guy? That, now he did get a the Virginia Tech game, like that was great for him. But could he have gotten to that point without being there for the spring? Um, I don't know. Right. In in his defense, we they said they're bumping California to the spring. There was not a guarantee that that was going to happen. Right. Because we just didn't know where COVID was going to go. Yeah. All right, next question is from Greg Perez at Middleman Perez 1. Which under-the-radar players are you looking forward to watching the most this season? Under the radar. So, to me, I, these are always really hard at Notre Dame for somebody to be under the radar. Right, especially for a site that covers Notre Dame football on a daily basis, you know. So, I'm going to go, I'm going to change the question a little bit to spring instead of the season because we're going to get more of a look at under-the-radar players in the spring than we necessarily would in the season. So here's the guys that I came up with, uh, assuming that they are healthy. Luke Talich at safety, just because Chris O'Leary is so excited about him once he gets up to around 210 or so pounds on that six foot four frame. Um, Aiden Gobira at defensive end. He was uh, an ascending player prospect at kind of the end of the recruiting cycle and then he tears up his ACL after his first year being kind of undersized uh so I'm curious what he could do at the field end spot Devin Houston 
because of him winning the scout team player of the week so many times. It was like Hannah Hidalgo winning the freshman ACC thing. So I, I'm curious about him. Jaden Osbury, just because I was so impressed with him in spring ball. I don't know how under the radar he is, but I think he could be a guy that could be a rover that stays on the field sometimes on third down. Bodie Cahoon, who won't be here till June, so that doesn't count. But uh, just because his stats were so great, I try to stay away from freshmen, but I, I included him. And then uh, Bubakar Traore at, at the Viper and Kahano Kia, I think those are kind of under the radar guys for me. Yeah, I don't, I probably didn't go far enough under the radar. Um, <laughs> guys that I was thinking of were like, maybe some guys that maybe we take for granted or aren't giving enough credit to. Um, Cooper Flanagan is someone that I think uh, I thought impressed as a freshman. I'm interested to see his, his development. Um, Tyson Ford is someone that we haven't seen the development we've wanted to from him. Is, is there, is there, is there a path forward for him to getting a chance to make that kind of impact for Notre Dame this season? Guys that played more Joshua Burnham, um, I, I'm really looking forward to what 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 his future is. Where does Notre Dame put him? How, what sort of role can he play, and how can he take advantage of that? And then one one guy that I think it's probably unfair to call him under the radar, but there's just been so many wide receiver additions. I I think that like Jaden Greyhouse maybe is like maybe taken for granted a little bit because he he's he actually stayed. He played this year and his flashes early in the season didn't continue after his hamstring issues. And I think he was being asked to do play out of position and that wasn't helpful to him. Um, so that was someone that I thought of. And then guys that come up to mind that I always like, it feels like something that I've learned over the years is that there, there's old guys that everyone just wants to try to replace. Um, it's like, well, who's the next guy? And I think Jordan Batello was starting to get into that um category um with the way he played this season now the Sun Bowl I think maybe probably erased that so that was a guy that I thought of and then Jaden Thomas is another one that um there were such high expectations for him and he didn't meet them and I think people might be looking to find a lesser role for Jaden Thomas or other guys to replace him um those are sort of the guys that I I like to keep an eye on like DJ Brown no one ever wanted DJ Brown to be a starting safety at Notre Dame but I think he played a pretty good role for Notre Dame this past season um, and there's been other examples like that. I mean, you could go back to like um, the Javon McKinley's of the world or um, stuff like that. The guys that really finally came to their best really late in their careers. I think they end up becoming under the radar because we're always talking about the next big thing. All right. Next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. Looking at all the players coming for junior weekend. Can each of you please pick the three that you feel are must gets for Notre Dame? Well, I'll tell you, that list is getting more impressive by the day. Um, so I kind of, before we started doing the podcast today, I uh, kind of ran by my list by Tyler so he wouldn't laugh at me when we did it. So I'm going to go with Owen Strebig, the offensive tackle from Wisconsin, Dalen McCutcheon, a wide receiver from Texas, and I'm going to go with, Mark Zachary, a cornerback from Indianapolis, then Davis High School. But I think Notre Dame will get more than three of those guys eventually. 
Yeah, I, I think because where Notre Dame is, I mean, we're talking about a class that has 14 commitments already. Um, and we're in January still. Like, I think it's too early for muskets, and there's too much already in that class. Like, you feel like there's a lot of muskets right now. Like, obviously, there's really talented players that will increase the talent base in this class. Um, the three guys that I, I highlighted were Owen Strebig, Mark Zachary, and then Dallas Golden, the cornerback out of Tampa. Um, I think it's a combination of need um, at that offensive tackle position with Owen Strebig and his talent level. He's a top 100 player. Uh, Mark Zachary is a very talented cornerback. I think that'd be a really big recruiting win in Indianapolis for a player that Ohio State really wants. Um, and Dallas Golden has all kinds of offers. And you get a guy out of Florida like that, I think those would be very important recruiting victories for Notre Dame. Um, like Dalen McCutcheon, to me, he's too unlikely to come to Notre Dame to be considered a must-get. Jerome Bettis Jr., he isn't a sure enough prospect for, for me to consider him a must-get. Those are, And so wide receivers is like the position that I think a lot of people would focus on because of the need there, but um, I don't necessarily consider any of the receivers that are visiting Notre Dame this weekend as must-gets. Although, like if Jerome Bettis Jr. were to end up somewhere else, which I don't think will happen, I think he will end up in Notre Dame's class. But if he goes somewhere else and, and becomes a star, people are going to be very mad about that. Like you don't you don't look good when a a son of a famous athlete um, ends up starring somewhere else at a, at a school, especially when it's a junior and he has the very same. Name. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, because no one would be able to forget who his dad is because of his name. All right. Next question is from at Charles W. Wolf. I know classes just started, but is it too early to ask about the new strength and conditioning program? It is never too early to ask about it. It may be too early for us to give you a comprehensive answer. I think it will be more productive to ask after we've spoken to, so next week after we've spoken to the at least the transfer players about it next week and have gotten some feedback from them. I think you can only source it so much. And Charles, I know you're a regular listener to the podcast, or at least you pretend to be. And Ryan Harris had some good background on Lauren Landau of what he was before he got to Notre Dame. I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk to Lauren here sooner than later as well, and then have more information for you. Yeah, I, my answer was yes. It's it's too early. Like if you want an actual meaningful answer, then yes, it's it's too early because there's even the people that are in the program. Like like if you ask a player, they'd be like, oh yeah, that was a good workout. Uh, like I don't know I think it's just a lot there's a lot to be discussed and um, hopefully Lauren Landau can lay out to us what it looks like and um, what the focuses are but I think we're at too early of a stage to provide any sort of meaningful answer for that all right uh, Jack Quinn at JQ 6008 has there been a resolution to as to whether or not Stanford will count as an ACC game and is slash should Notre Dame pushing for it to count so that they can add another non-ACC opponent or would they rotate Stanford and Cal? I'd like the annual Stanford game to go away. Um, there's not been a lot of interviews granted along these subject lines, uh, but the last uh, that I can tell you, the last information I have is that Notre Dame likes the USC-Stanford arrangement of – one of them coming here in mid-October and then going out to the West Coast and finishing the season in late November. Um, and it may, and that arrangement may be more difficult with different decision-makers in those conferences. 
Stanford initially uh, was going to be separate. It was going to be not an ACC commitment. Uh, and Pete Pavacqua may have a different idea. And we now know that he's going to be starting making those kinds of decisions on March 25th. And again, when you look at that, remember the timing, mid-October, late November, during rivalry rivalry week. Boy, that was easy for me to say. There's not a lot of Power 5 or Power 4 teams that are want to play the team of caliber of Notre Dame at those points in the season. And so I I wouldn't wish away Stanford yeah. quite that quickly. Yeah, I think getting rid of that only makes it more complicated, I in my opinion. And I think making your making the your ability to complete your schedule on an annual basis more complicated is dangerous territory because then you're gonna end up with some real Real duds, I think you're not going to add a lot of the big t- big time games to your schedule. You just can't with the with the increasing conference sizes. It's going to be harder to do that. Um, so, I I don't I don't really know where where it's at. I mean, I I would guess the ACC is the one who gets to decide that rather than Notre Dame, unless ACC is like, ah, we don't care what whatever you guys want to do, um, because they it's an agreement that Notre Dame has to reach with Notre Dame to fulfill their 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 agreement or whatever. And, and they have it mapped out into the mid 2030s right now with the current ACC members that don't include Cal Stanford and SMU. Right. So I, I don't know. I mean, I would imagine, I would imagine they would maybe try to tweak that if, if they could, but I don't, I don't know that it necessarily matters. Like would Cal and SMU be that peeved if they don't get to play Notre Dame before 2036 or whatever. Um, I don't, I don't know. Um, but I, I think it's also worth like, to my knowledge, there hasn't been an announcement of the ND Stanford series officially extending past next year. I think this, this year's the last one on the, the last publicly acknowledged uh, series extension. Um, so maybe it, I'm not, so I'm not, so I be, just because I don't think it makes sense for it to go away. doesn't mean it won't. Um, and we don't have any hard information to report that it says, it has been extended for a certain amount of time and what it's going to look like as it relates to the ACC agreement. All right. Next question. And last question is from Bob underscore Oxnard on the insider lounge. What does the basketball program need to accomplish this year for you to consider Micah Shrewsbury's first year to be a success? I'll try to make it um, very simple and keep this out of gray area. Although it, all these are kind of gray. For me, a level of consistency on the court, improvement from November to March, and strides on the recruiting trail. That, to me, would be a successful season. Yeah, I think, in general, just sort of growth and improvement. Like, I, to me, there's not a lot of, like, numerical points, right? Um, or stuff that can necessarily be measured. Now, maybe you could measure, like, well, we were averaging X points in, in December and by f- February, we were averaging X points. Um, so maybe there's improvement there in scoring. I think offense is the thing that is the, that has uh, hurt Notre Dame's season the most. There's just not enough scores on this team. Um, things that I think that can be fixed or improved that would be nice to see this season to be a reflection of Micah Shrewsbury's ability as a coach, I think sort of, Ending the recurring second half poor starts, 
Um, the free throw shooting in big, big moments is, has been very poor, and and in particular at at home, I think their their worst three, three free throw shooting efforts have been um, in Purcell Pavilion. Um, I know I don't know that I blame Micah Shrewsbury for that, but it just does not reflect well upon the team that's focused. Um, and I'd like to see them win a meaningful game at home. I feel like that would be something that would really uh, make it feel like uh, some measure of success that, that could be had this season. I, I think sort of macro, just figure out what you have and what you need to make the roster better, right? I think that's – this was always going to be a team that was put together hastily um, and sort of just filling roles because it had such huge holes – um, and you sort of had to take what you could get um, in some ways. And I don't know that you were necessarily knew what you had because so many of those guys were young players and inexperienced players, and you needed to see what they could do as players this season to get a better understanding of what they are or what they can be. So I think um, in, ter- in terms of like you want Micah Shrewsbury to build a program, I think sort of just figuring out what you have and what you need to get better is, is the best way to approach um, making this season successful. All right, that is it for today's episode of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with someone who has a lead on a home in warm weather that they'd like to offer us up for vacation because we are <laughs> snow buried and going to be snow buried some more. Um, at least the temperatures aren't as cold as they were, but it is, it is, it is peak winter here. Um, in South Bend. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're offering a 30-day free trial to our podcast listeners who want to try out a subscription to InsideAndySports.com. So please take advantage of that with the code NDPOD. That's N-D-P-O-D. We are still in our weekly mode with the podcast and Football Never Sleeps over on YouTube. Um, we're trying to stick to a Monday Football Never Sleeps schedule and a Thursday podcast schedule. So at least tentatively, you can sort of um, pencil us in for when to expect us. But that's what we're working on right now. Um, until we, you hear from us again, stick with InsideNDSports.com for all your Notre Dame coverage needs. Mm-hmm.